All right, we're moving on. We're moving on from the <laughs> main event of UC267 onto everything else that happened on the card. Uh, you're still listening to Tengri, though. This is episode 26. I said it was episode 27 on the previous episode. I'm gonna, I, I should really stop trying to count these things because uh, I'm way past the 20-minute, uh, I guess, threshold. Uh, I remember, like, I distinctly remember reading something about podcasts not surviving. If a podcast doesn't survive until the 20 episode threshold, then it's uh, not going. It's not going to continue. That's what I've read, and it kind of like stuck in my brain. And so I kept, um, like, sort of counting each episode, like making sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, this is Tangry Dome episode 26, part two, and uh, we are gonna. Continue covering, continue breaking down the card that happened uh, last weekend. And, uh, as I've said, it was pretty good. Uh, it was a pretty dynamic, pretty interesting card. But nonetheless, uh, everything that was on the card kind of suffered, you know, from uh, being featured on that same night when uh, Peter Jan, like, uh, hosted... Like, when Peter Jan turned in uh, an MMA striking performance of the decade essentially. <laughs> but either way, like aside from one outrageous instance of downright criminal officiating, it uh, had great momentum, dramatic finishes, and all-round great fights that deserve an in-depth look. Maybe not as in-depth as um, Jan vs. Sandhagen, but still, there's some stuff that uh, bears, to, bears mentioning. So, uh, well, the actual main event on paper was uh, Glover Teixeira versus uh, Jan Blachowicz. And uh, what do I have to say about this one? Um, I suppose it was certainly a feel-good moment for Glover and uh, kind of a, you know, a feel-bad moment for Jan, obviously. And uh, everyone was pretty high on Jan after so many ups and downs, uh, so many struggles. And uh, people... And Blachowicz was able to endear himself to many an MMA fan for his uh, perseverance, if nothing else. But, I mean, push comes to shove, at the end of the day, light, light heavyweight division is uh, not at all relevant in the grand, grand scheme of things. I know uh, it's kind of... I'm not trying to piss on anyone's parade, not trying to ruin anyone's, like, enjoyment of uh, Glover's achievement, but the truth of the matter is is that light heavyweight for the longest time, for the past, um, well, for much of the uh, 2010s, I suppose, was, uh, what, how did it look? It was basically John Jones, DC, and everyone else. And so now that uh, John Jones is uh, too busy uh, trying to get his life together, or rather, uh, trying to maintain the precise balance in his life. Like, he can't merely live his life, you know. He has to kind of like... It's kind of like this thing that he does whenever he gets drunk or parties before fights and so that he always has an excuse whenever something bad happens or whenever he turns in a subpar performance. Like, oh, I was drunk. Oh, I was partying. That kind of stuff. And so 
in like when he g- g- grows old and someone asks him how come you're not as successful as you could possibly be and you would always have the excuse oh i've done bad some bad shit in my life it's kind of like the this balancing act of uh acting like a shithead to make sure he's not a completely 100% normal human being because that would be boring obviously and dc has moved on to become uh i guess DC is grooming himself to try and become the next UFC president or something. He's too preoccupied with that. He's too preoccupied with shilling for his teammates on commentary to, you know, uh, to to do stuff that matters for the division or the sport. <laughs> and I mean, well, he's also very old, so... Uh... So yeah, basically what we're seeing here, so now that DC and Jones are gone, we're seeing everyone else take the spot. And everyone else is uh, simply not as good. I'm sorry, but that's true. That's that's uh, that's the long and short of it. Nonetheless, uh, as much... Uh, uh, like, the, the thing is... Uh, people always talk about how the game passes on, the game evolves, the game changes. Uh, not at heavier weights, it doesn't. I've I've spoken about this um, on one of the previous episodes where I, where I talked about the further versus uh, the current crop of heavyweights type comparisons, and where I, I said that uh, if you look back and watch some of the fights that happened uh, way back when. The skill level is still pretty much the same, if not better, in certain aspects. And this one, this one is kind of like one of those cases. Glover Teixeira has been around for ages. And obviously, yeah, Blachowicz uh, is also not, not, you know, a spring chicken. But however, Glover Teixeira kind of like both looks and I think has more mileage than Jan does. <laughs> uh, if only by virtue of his style being predicated on surviving horrendous knockdowns in order to go on and win the fight to kind of like dupe his opponents into a false sense of security and make sure they follow him up to the ground to try and finish him where he uh, kind of turns the tables on them. Wasn't the case in this fight, uh, which uh, mildly impressed me. Well, I shouldn't be so negative. It actually actually did impress me. Uh, Glover Teixeira was able to take Jan Blachowicz's punches very well. He actually checked calf kicks, which was also a neat little look. Don't see that often, even at uh, lower weight classes, although the the tables are kind of turning in that respect. People are starting to catch on, because Jose Aldo, I guess, created the uh, blueprint uh, way back in 2010, I think. Uh, like maybe a bit later, 2012, whatever. So, in what was a, one of the finer showcases of old man strength, Glover Teixeira grabbed a hold of Jan Blachowicz and kind of like beasted him to the ground, lifted him high up in the air and then slammed him on the ground and then spent the rest of the first round like that, kind of like, you know, uh, just uh, wearing on Jan, I suppose. And afterwards, uh, second round, wobbled Jan with a 2-3 combination. Uh, one where he actually changed levels. 
threw a right straight to the body and then followed with a left hand, uh, with a left hook to the head, to the jaw, which uh, caught Jan very off guard, I must say. He kind of, like, he reacted as if doing that is prohibited at light heavyweight. And if you look at the history of uh, every fight at light heavyweight, most fights at light heavyweight, your average fight at light heavyweight, you would realize that might be actually the case. So I suppose, in a sense, Glover Teixeira broke the meta. Anyway, Yan was wobbled, Glover Teixeira uh, dragged Yan to the ground and uh, tapped him immediately with a choke. Uh, mm, well, still, still an impressive achievement, especially at Glover's age. Especially when everyone interested in the fights uh, kind of expected Glover to do his usual thing of getting dropped. And not everyone was sure whether or not he will be able to survive getting dropped by Yan, but here he is. Not dropped. Not even once. Uh, one might even say that he dominated the fight. Good on Glover. I suppose Yuri Prohaska is next. Uh, next in line. Next, The next contender. And I'm not sure. Not sure about that one. I cannot... Uh, as much as I wouldn't like seeing Glover, uh, as much as I wouldn't enjoy seeing Yuri play the bongos on Glover's big, bold head, I suppose Yuri is exactly the type of opponent where Glover might actually survive and do, perform another one of his uh, as-pull victories. But who knows? Uh, I'm not very invested. Um... Good on Glover, good on everyone who enjoyed the fight, and, uh, like, uh, uh, I suppose Jan will be back. Uh, that doesn't strike me as a type of person who just simply falls apart after losses. Certainly has uh, has had his fair share of uh, embarrassing L's, taking embarrassing L's from time to time, so nothing new, really, on that front. And then... I already talked about this one. Yeah, this is something. Yeah, Islam Makhachev. Islam Makhachev versus uh, Dan Hooker. Uh, mm, I admit, I, I would admit, uh, first of all, is that, uh, that Islam Makhachev is uh, an elite lightweight. Absolutely an elite lightweight. No denying that. If you deny that, uh, you must, uh, you know, uh, just pick another sport to watch. Or maybe watch some more fights. Kind of like reevaluate your choices in life, but however, however, uh, if you get top gamed by Dustin Poirier, uh, I'm sorry, but I don't think you will offer much to them to to Islam Makhachev, like much at all, like anything <laughs> really. Uh, Dan Hooker made the uh, rather questionable decision of trying to. Uh, kick with uh, Islam Makhachev, despite being uh, this being open stance and Makhachev being very good at catching kicks and taking people down off kicks. So naturally, Dan Hooker went to the ground and then Makhachev secured the Kimura and uh, submitted Dan Hooker very quickly. And uh, the thing that got much publicity was that uh, was the instruction that uh, Habib gave to Makhachev. And uh, everyone was like, oh, Habib, the genius, the grappling genius. Habib invented grappling when uh, he instructed uh, uh, Makhachev to use his legs to finish the Kimura. And uh, the thing is, 
as much, as good as that finish is, it's a, it's still a very good finish. Don't get me wrong. Uh, that's actually that's literally how you should should finish Kimura if you are to hope uh, to have any hope of submitting anyone at the elite level. You know, uh, you. S I think the problem is that MMA fans are so used to seeing uh, fighters crank on that Kimura for no good reason with all their strength to no avail. When the actual finish involves using your legs to create, you know, uh, counterweights, counterbalances, I guess. So you get the idea. You kind of use your legs to uh, create leverage and then you finish the submission. Uh, when I pointed this out, I, it's funny, when I pointed this out, I got retweet retweeted by a catch wrestling account. And the catch wrestling account was like... Was like uh, but that's not how you finish a double wrist lock. And I was like, uh, well, enjoy not getting the submission then. <laughs> I don't know, man. Catch wrestling is cool, but uh, catch wrestling fanboys are very strange. Uh, let's leave it at that. Uh, regardless, uh, Islam Makachev climbs the stairs, climbs the rankings, and uh, uh, DC shield very hard from... Uh, Makachev, 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 I don't know. I've said that, um, I've said on the previous episode that you're gonna hear a lot uh, of uh, weird, uh, like, uh, jumping back and forth between the Russian pronunciation and the English pronunciation in the in these podcasts, because it's sometimes easier for me to keep up the flow of my spoken English if I anglicize the names. Uh, that is mangle them. Anyway, I digress. Uh, DC was like, oh, uh, Makachev should get the title shot uh, before Gagey, and uh, which uh, oh, naturally pissed Gagey. Uh, something fearsome. Uh, something fierce? Something fearsome? How, how are you supposed to say it? Eh. And to which, <clears throat> to which DC backpedaled very quickly, and it was like, bro, bro, I'm just kidding, bro. Come on, bro. We're friends, bro. You're my favorite fighter, bro. Uh, DC. In the words of uh, the now retired Danny Martin, Daniel Cormier is a cockroach. <laughs> I can't actually, like, I'm very bad at imitating American accents, but uh, the way Danny says, uh, says that with his, uh, like, bass boosted voice, his bass boosted voice, can't really imitate that. DC is a cockroach. Alright, moving on. Uh, let's keep up the momentum. And speaking of momentum, uh, next up is Alexander Volkov. Alexander Volkov versus uh, Marcin Tibura. I think that's how you're supposed to pronounce it. Hang on, I'm going to Google it. Uh, da -da 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 -da. Yeah, Marcin Tibura. Uh, in, in, uh, in Polish. Uh... To be quite honest, I zoned out. I zoned out very hard. I took this uh, fight as an opportunity to take a, you know, bit of a coffee break. Uh, talk to my girlfriend who was with me watching the fights. She very, very much enjoyed the card. Actually, it was kind of surprising. Very funny hearing her. Uh, very, it was very funny hearing her yelp every time someone got decked. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, the card was good enough that even she. 
uh, like uh, not an MMA fan or a combat sports fan uh, in any capacity, very much enjoyed what was happening. Maybe it just means that she's as much of a gen- degenerate as I am. But uh, I've said uh, during my live uh, tweet commentary that um, me roping her into watching this fight should uh, should be liable. Should should be uh, I should be she should be able to sue me for domestic abuse for roping her into watching this fight. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't care about this one. Let's let's just move move forward. Uh, move ahead. This is the UFC just slotting, slotting in bad heavyweights in the middle of the main card to kind of like, I don't know, deliberately slow down the momentum of the already actually sincerely genuinely good card. It's bizarre, but I'm used to it. Hamzat Chimaev versus Li Jiangyang. Uh, Jiangyang. <clears throat> Hamzat Chimaev versus Li. Jiang Liang. I think I pronounced it correctly. Hang on. Gonna Google this name as well. I'm gonna do the John Anik thing now. I'm gonna apologize for butchering names and kind of like do my best to pronounce them as they should should be pronounced. Hang on. Uh, give me a moment here. Li Jing Liang. Nah, that sounds racist. No, <laughs> I won't do that. Okay, Hamza Chimaev versus the Leech. Okay, Hamza Chimaev versus the Leech. Impressive performance as always from Chimaev. Uh, the Leech, not much of a grappler. Him being announced as a BJJ black belt is kind of comical, considering that he got out grappled by pretty much any uh, welterweight worth his salt who knows how to grapple. However, what struck out to me was uh, how heavy. Hamza Chimaev's hips are. It, it, it looks like they're made of lead. He always maintains positioning, the, the good positioning with the hips, always maintains a lower center of gravity than the other guy. And so the other guy feels like... It must feel like uh, you're carrying two Chimaevs on your back as opposed to, you know, one Chimaev, which is already enough to kind of, like, shit your pants if you don't know how to wrestle or grapple well. Anyway, Hamzat kind of shows off, uh, like showboats a little by uh, talking to to uh, some of the officials sitting cage side by while lifting uh, the leech up in the air, uh, dumps him down, kind of wears on him, and then submits him. Uh, the leech uh, has done a valiant effort of uh, kind of like trying to tough the choke out, but then all that uh, ended up doing is uh, is that he went to to sleep, basically. Um, way better win than some of the previous wins of Chimaev's. Uh, well, uh, nice to see Chimaev, uh, I suppose, holding up well after his uh, reportedly very nasty bit with a nasty bout with uh, COVID. Looking forward to him seeing to to seeing him compete against better opposition. Still, I'm still remaining uh, choosing to remain fairly conservative when it comes to evaluating Chimaev. But uh, I admit, the guy is very good. He he may prove to be a real force in the division. It's just that um, we haven't seen the best of him yet. Uh, let's leave it at that. Uh, Magomed Ankalaev versus Volkan Ozdemir. Uh, 
And Kalayev, for all his uh, discipline, for all his skill, uh, I'm sorry, but Ankalaev is pathologically okay. I think that's the best way to put it. Ankalaev is uh, entirely too willing to continue racking up uh, sort of like uninspired but nonetheless comprehensive wins. That's how I would put it. And Vulcan, Vulcan threw a bunch of uh, uh, like loopy hooks which didn't connect and kind of went like, oh, I guess there's no sense trying to win now. And Ankalaev had no issue uh, counter-double-attacking Ozdemir to a comprehensive decision. Uh, here's hoping Ankalaev uh, grows in terms of skill and actually showcases some urgency moving forward. Uh, it's kind of like it's it's kind of similar to what Gunn does. Uh, Gunn pot shots and pot shots and racks up a lead, but then never really proceeds to uh, get his guy out of there. I, I know that he, uh, Gunn was able to, you know, uh, like kind of finish Derek Lewis, but it was more Derek Lewis kind of giving up rather than Gunn truly building on any of his offense to set up a power shot. That's what I mean. And then Kalaev was kind of like content with countering Vulcan's very ugly, very telegraphed swings. And that's how he won. Decent win. Uh, still not very inspiring. Amanda Hivas versus uh, Verna Jandiroba. Jandidoba. Uh, I don't know. Portuguese names. Brazilian names. Uh... Uh, I'm not going to try anymore. I'm sorry, I give up. Ranjidoba, <laughs> uh, sadly, not quite the athlete to deal with uh, uh, uh process. Uh, like, uh, it was more of a contrasting, like, you know, matchup uh, where um, he was, was a, the bigger athlete and uh, I suppose uh, a bit of a less natural fighter. However, she actually has a process. And so she was able to systematically pick Zhenjidoba apart. Uh, one thing I must point out is that um, I know that uh, Hibas' uh, nickname is Karakal. I think that's what it is. Hang on. It's... Uh... Come on. Topology. Don't let me down. Kakaral. Karakal is, uh, is the name of, of the cat. Fuck's sake. Oh, wait. Is it? Or is it? I'm sorry. I, I'm currently googling Brazilian birds of, play, of prey. Uh, Brazilian birds of prey. Trying to find the, the, uh, the actual, you know, animal. Uh... Eagle. No, that's not it. I think it was Kakara or something like that. Uh, John Anik was talking about this on the commentary. DC actually asked him and derailed the commentary for like half the fight. And again, not, not much was happening during that, but still, it was uh, still one of those things where DC just starts podcasting instead of commentating. 
Anyway, uh, I think it was Kakara. Anyway, the, the reason why I'm pointing this out is that he was has this uh, very like annoying habit of flaring her elbows and kind of like doing the bird bird's wings kind of like like gesture with her with her arms and like uh, it shouldn't it doesn't doesn't have the right to annoy me as much as it does like i don't know it's it's some kind of irrational thing where every time she did that i was like like begging Jinjidoba to basically like kick he was in the ribs ah very annoying Anyway, uh, I guess, I suppose, still, a uh, decent enough win. Uh, actually, not that bad of a fight, as far as uh, women's MMA goes. So, good on, the, good on Amanda, I suppose. Welcome to Tangredom ASMR edition. There was this time when I was uh, looking for some stuff to listen to before I go to sleep. And uh, one of my recommendations was mouth sounds. Binaural ASMR mouth sounds. Three hours. And I was like, ah, that's very clever of you, YouTube algorithm. You wish me to fly into a murderous rage, so I exhaust myself and then fall asleep. Very smart. Come to think of it, he was kind of also looks like a bird. I think it's the nose and the googly eyes. <clears throat> anyway, uh, Zubairato Hugov versus uh, Hikardo Hamush. Uh, Zuba finally looking violent. It was actually a really, really good action fight. I really enjoyed that one. Uh, Zuba's <clears throat> Zuba came out looking to uh, like pressure and counterpunch aggressively. He went came out as an aggressive counterpuncher. It made for a really fun fight because Hamush was kind of like, I mean, first of all, Zuba got Hamush chasing bees every time he fainted. So you know that's how po potent Zuba's counterpunching looked in this fight. And again, Hamush really like didn't offer much in the way of. Uh, Effective counter offense to Zuba's counters. It was uh, all first layer counters mostly. Uh, Zuba would uh, kind of faint and uh, kind of like make Hamush jump, and Hamush would throw a strike, and then Zuba would counter over the top. Not much in the way of body punching or body kicking, not much in the way of kicking at all, uh, but still an, uh, an impressive performance nonetheless. Hamush was able to nail Zuba with one of his. Uh, uh, meme elbows, the spinning elbow, and that's uh, th one of the reasons is that uh, Zuba kind of has a nasty habit of leading with his face whenever he throws, or like he would throw and then lunge forward, following the strike and kind of like which increases the time during which uh, he needs to kind of you know move his head back, or like messes with his balance that kind of stuff. Uh, but still, uh, Zuba was still able to dominate Hamush, despite that, because uh, Hamush does not know how to throw follow-up strikes. It was some of the worst strike selection I've ever seen. <laughs> I have to say, the way he was followed Jandidoba after hurting her was also some of the worst follow-up striking I've ever seen. Like, just 
bunch of like spinning shit and shitty bicycle kicks. Just throw one twos. It's fine. It will more more often than not simple one twos will connect because the other because your opponent is hurt. They don't know where they are. Just throw one twos, please. No, good, no. Both fights pretty decent nonetheless. Now that I'm uh, in the mood to like unfairly make fun of someone's appearance, something they have no control over, uh, Zuba is built very weird. Kind of distracted me for the first round at least. I was very distracted by his build, uh, which is uh, like a short, stumpy, chubby legs, kind of, kind of looking like a toddler in there. From uh, like a, his entire bottom half looks like that of a toddler's, and uh, the upper half, which is uh, like this long, long torso with short arms, followed with a long, long neck and a huge head. I'm not trying to make fun of him. I'm just like. Trying to point out how weird that build is. You don't see people with that kind of build very often. I think the only one I've seen with that kind of build was uh, was the big baby guy. What was his name? The heavyweight. Junior Albini, I think his name was. I think the guy uh, on Joe Rogan and this is a very unfair comparison. I'm just remembering him. There was this guy on Joe Rogan who went on Joe Rogan and told, talked about how uh, black people have an have a gene that makes them innately more aggressive. And he had the same type of build, the same big baby build. And I joke that, like, how come people who advocate for eugenics always look like, like they sh they're supposed to be weeded out by eugenics. <laughs> like, like, oh, did you know, did you, did you hear that the Spartans used to throw babies off a cliff? And the guy saying that looks like they should be, they should have been thrown by the Spartans off a cliff as a baby. <laughs> uh, next up, Albert Durayev versus Roman Kapilov. Roman Kapilov, man, find another camp, move, learn to wrestle, please. Just absolutely non-existent on the bottom. It's shocking. And I talked about on the previous episode how I noticed that American camps more often than not seem to be preoccupied more with motivating their fighters rather than actually giving them instructions. And I would like to rectify that a bit, kind of like... Um, a small correction. Uh, Kapilov's camp, it's both like American camps that are still very good, but kind of like the corner work needs some work. And uh, it's also, it's an overlap between those camps and also camps that are just simply not high level. And it's not a connection you might want to have. Because low level camps often do not give tactical instructions either. And Kapilov's uh, corner was all like uh, embrace the grind set uh, your mom's watching, your dad's watching uh, don't disappoint your parents that kind of stuff 
like throughout every round, throughout each round, because they have they've had nothing to offer to him in in terms of tactical advice. Kapilov kind of like basically toughed it out, which I suppose means he fulfilled the, the corner advice. But nah. Durayev, meanwhile, uh, fairly hittable. I, I suppose he just doesn't... He looked very hittable against uh, Southpaw. It didn't, didn't look like he knew what to do with the Southpaw. And it led to a very violent fight where Durayev's orbital, I think, got broken. And Kapilov's nose got smashed to, to pieces on the ground. And Kapilov was trying to do the fucking uh, Taito Iwasa thing of trying to punch back from under top mount. Which is always a bad sign. Which is a sign that the fighter does not know what to do from bottom, from that position. And I was yelling at the screen, I was screaming at the screen. Just to hip escape, push in the hips, use your legs. And uh, his legs were just completely dead. He didn't know what to do with him, with them. That's the first sign you should look for. If the guy is grappling on bottom... And his legs are not moving. His legs are not like... He doesn't look like he knows what to do with his legs. That's, uh, you know, that's a surefire sign of someone who doesn't know how to grapple. Anyway, pretty violent, pretty good fight. Uh, Durayev was still able to take that decision, which uh, I'm not sure about. I don't know. He got dropped a couple times. Then again, he still mauled Kapila from the ground, so... Close, close fight in that respect. But uh, I guess Durayev... Is the rightful winner. I'm not actually disagreeing with the decision. I think the ref absolutely won. It's just that according to criteria, no, I think knockdowns should score more. I don't know. I should consult with that. I've actually uh, studied the rules in depth. And uh, oh, for fuck's sake! You know, I had so much fun talking about the rest of the card that I forgot that um, Eliseo Zaleski dos Santos versus uh, Benoit Saint-Denis happened. Uh, what, what what do you say? What can you say about this? Um, Vyacheslav Kisilov, that was the name of the referee. Vyacheslav Kisilov, I, was, uh, I sincerely hope I was after watching the fight. I was sincerely hoping that someone would would be waiting for him outside the venue with a pair of pliers and a blowtorch. That's how I felt about that kind of officiating. If that kind of shit happened on the regional scene over here, I guarantee you, I guarantee that uh, after the fight, there would be a gang. There would be a band, there would be a group. Uh, gang, gang and band have, you know, some, some, some certain connotations. Certain connotations that I'm um, injecting deliberately. There would be a group of people, uh, there would be some very large Brat Mongolian man waiting for you outside the venue. That's all I have to say about that kind of officiating. Well, I'm not being sincere. I have a lot to say about this sort of officiating. First of all, 
First of all, what is the screening process for referees in the UFC? Who picks the referees? I know that athletic commissions pick the referees in uh, the US. I'm not so sure about Abu Dhabi. I'm not so sure about any event that takes place outside the US, and uh, especially like under this uh, Abu Dhabi umbrella at the Etihad Arena. Seems very shady. I haven't heard of this guy before. And Kaposa, on Twitter, because he watches every fight ever, has said that he saw this guy being featured on some of the regional Russian events. And uh, his officiating was about as bad, even back then. And I saw clips of him doing, like, magician hands and posing for the camera and winking to the camera. Uh, which uh, begs the question of what does Vyacheslav Kisilov think the job entails. Does he think the referee is some kind of showman? Does he think that the referee should get as much screen time as the fighters, being the third man in the cage or in the ring? Because the way he was prancing around that cage, the way he was like strolling around that cage, not for one second assuming a good position to be able to interrupt the action, It just, there's so many layers of incompetence here. First layer of incompetence, the fact that uh, this type of guy was hired to officiate a fight. The second layer of incompetence was the, the referee himself. The fact that he did not assume correct position, the, the fact that he did not utilize proper footwork to remain in position, to observe both fighters from an advantageous angle. From a good angle where he can see everything happening. What do I mean by that? If you were to look at um, Jason Herzog on that card, he constantly positions himself in between the fighters. He sees both fighters. He's like, stands like two meters, maybe one and a half meters at most away from the fighters. He's not circling them from way outside. He's not circling, him, uh, circling them from 15 feet away while looking at the sky, checking his, uh, checking his time, checking his watches. And checking his watch and like thinking about whether or not he left the stove on, uh, left the stove on back, back at home. Trying to remember what was the name of that hot chick from uh, Pussycat Girls, which he saw on MTV back when he was, I don't know, 17. You know, that's not what you do as a referee. You're there, first of all, to be invisible. That's another layer of failure here. You're not supposed to be visible as a referee. If you do your job right, no one fucking notices you. It's a thankless, very hard, unforgiving job where if you make a single mistake, everyone will single you out. That's why a properly done job by a referee is never noticeable. Don't notice it. You're not supposed to notice it. 
You're not supposed to prance around doing magician hands. But what was the actual failure, you ask, if you haven't seen the fight? Okay, so Zaleski de Santos is a very, uh, very experienced fighter, a very experienced action fighter, a, a huge banger. He knows how to scrap. He punches hard, he punches well, and Benar Saint-Denis is a grappler who was making his debut in the organization. It was his debut. Uh, I'm not painting Benoit Saint-Denis as some kind of like tragic figure, or like a you know, like a like an like a like an amateur without skill, or like a an inexperienced babyface. No, he's not. He's a grown man. He was uh, doing his best to stay in the fight. He was uh, fighting decently well for someone with a uh, not yet mature overall MMA game. Plus, on top of that, according to Baba of the Abort During podcast, uh, Benoit Saint-Denis is not, you know, a nice man by any stretch of imagination and his fan base. It does not consist of very nice men, uh, mostly right-wing uh, right conservative nuts, but that's par for the course in MMA. What I'm taking issue with here, well, first of all, I'm not an insane savage. I'm not a crazy person. As bad uh, as Benoit saint may be, allegedly, I do not wish to see a murder happen in the cage. I do not wish to see a man get beaten to death on live television. And this is something that's happened in other combat sports before, especially in boxing with its long and storied history, as well as its long and storied history of corruption. And the fact that the overall sports, uh, the overall meta of the sport, the rule set, uh, leads to situations where fighters absorb a tremendous amount of volume of strikes. Like, consistent, constant, prolonged brain trauma is what does people in, in boxing, more often than not. This was prolonged, consistent, constant brain trauma from mid-round two onwards. Zaleski dos Santos gassed himself out, wailing on Benoit Saint-Denis, who did not know what, what, what the fuck was happening. He got the ever-loving mother of fuck beaten out of him. What did the referee do? He looked like he did not understand where he was and what was happening himself. He looked like he got clogged over the head with a, he looked like he got clanged over the head with a with a cast iron port beforehand. I don't even think. At some point, I got the impression that he does not even understand a word of English. Benoît gets poked in the eye with a mask of blood covering his face, and says, "I can't fucking see. I can't see shit." What does Vyacheslav Kisilov do? He, 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 the only thing that he did, he did not call the doctor in. First of all, the fighter had to call his own foul, which also happened in the first round when, uh, when uh, Saint-Denis, I think, uh, kicked uh, the Santos in the balls and they both kind of like 
shook hands about it. Meanwhile, Kiselev was looking somewhere up in the sky, maybe imagining the shape of the clouds outside the venue. Under the scorching desert sun, in the beautiful, endless dunes, the sea of sand, wondering about poetry and that kind of shit, I don't know. And then, uh, all that he did after Saint-Denis called the fowl and said that he cannot, cannot see was ask him repeatedly, Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you okay? He did explicitly say that he is not okay, Kiselev. Slava, I should call him. Mudak, if we were to speak a mutual shared language. And then he took a point of Zaleski de Santos for uh, an alleged low blow. What are we doing here? Like what, what what happened was like Dos Santos already has already wailed on uh, Saint Denis for for like one and a half rounds. Saint Denis barely being able to stand upright using the cage to prop himself up. Dos Santos barely Dos Santos's knee barely scrapes the cup and uh, Kisilov barges in and take uh, very authoritatively takes a point. And at this point. I no longer understood what was happening. I just could not understand what I was seeing. I could not fathom it. The the commentary booth was losing it uh, at this point already. And the the corner of uh, Saint-Denis was nowhere to be seen. Uh... As much as I would like to see, uh, as much as I would like to see that dog cunt, that useless sack of dog cum, have a fire hose shoved up his ass and cranked up to, t- to full volume, uh, there is also one other guilty party, and that's the corner. What are we doing here, man? You know, uh, uh, one of our Discord patrons, one of our subscribers, uh, is a big basketball fan, and uh, we constantly make fun of him for it because it's kind of like a bit, a funny bit at this point. And um, we've talked about how annoying basketball fans are because there's like ten million young boys running around uh, posting not a sport under uh, any posts that feature any sport other than basketball. And yeah, that's annoying, but when you see that kind of shit happen, I mean, are they wrong? Is this really a sport at this point? Can you sincerely sit down, watch this fight, and call what we're seeing a sport? This subscriber talked about how he entered uh, a basketball discourse and tried to uh, talk about MMA for a bit. And one of the guys in there said that uh, they cannot bring themselves to watch people bludging each other half to death for shit pay. And you, you know what? That's entirely fair. If I never saw 
a minute of MMA in my life before. And watch this. I don't think I, I would have... Uh, I don't think it would have registered as a sport in my brain. I think uh, I've heard someone say that uh, uh, achievements in sports are manufactured like the the great historical moments in sport are manufactured for a lot of money and a lot of suffering and uh, with combat sports and uh, i think uh, it's a bit different great historical moments are manufactured for a lot of suffering and little to no money and that's at the elite level not at this level not on the prelims of a card happening somewhere in the United Arab Emirates paid for by the oil sheikhs. The oil sheikhs. How are we supposed to pronounce it? I don't know. Featuring, like, the whole thing. Let's zoom out a little. I was raving about this card for a while now, and... Uh, the, in in uh, I think I guess in my euphoria at finally getting a good card, I kind of forgot how it looks from the outside. Forgot about how it looks from the outside. Let's zoom out a little. Let's let's look at this whole thing. The venue, United Arab Emirates, constantly engaging in sports washing. Constantly covering covering up for all the human rights abuses by hosting, uh, hosting big sporting events in there. Big arenas that they've built using slave labor, using imported slave labor, indentured servants from other countries, from other countries that are being starved to death in those labor camps. They flew in a couple people with genetic disorders to kind of like parade them around like circus freaks. They lit, they let in a referee that as far as I can see, has no real skill in refereeing to watch a mean to, to watch a man get beaten half to death within an inch of his life for their entertainment. I mean, does this look like a normal sport to you? What are we doing here? I always talk about how the one thing that always keeps me invested in the sport and keeps me going is seeing elite fighters uh, compete at the elite level and overcome and solve problems and overcome adversity and uh, showcase what the human spirit and the human body can do, truly like, push the limits of what you think is possible. And uh, this thing gives them a sense of fulfillment in life. Everyone craves fulfillment. Everyone wishes to be something in life. Everyone wants to belong. Everyone feels like wants to feel like they matter something. And if there's, and if uh, these people need to sacrifice some of the, like a large portion of their health, fighting each other for money to to feel that way, then more power to them. People will always want to fight. People will always crave action to some degree. And people like this will always exist. And we should let them do that. And we should let them do that in, say, in a safe, controlled environment. We should limit the risks as much as possible so they can enjoy the job that they love so much. That's the least we can do 
for them because they take all that inner turmoil, inner pain that everyone shares across the globe, everyone, that real human suffering, and they turn it into historical moments of triumph, historical moments of victory, and amazing, they like, achieve all these amazing things for our entertainment, and we, like, we cannot even create the conditions necessary for them to at least not fucking drop dead after showing up to work. This is their fucking job. And we're treating them like they're kids in the coal mines in the 19th century. What the fuck is this? All these stories about fighters coming from the favelas, coming from uh, third world countries, coming from poverty, dragging their way out of poverty and like into the spotlight and achieving great things in their life. And everyone like flocks flocks to all that stuff and kinda of goes, Oh yeah, poverty breeds champions. Struggle breeds champions. It creates character. While thousands and thousands and thousands of other people remain in that poverty and dirt and suffering and pain. A man got nearly killed. And I go, that was a good card. I go, that was a pretty good card. A man almost fucking died in there. And I'm like, eh, I mean, shit happens. I guess uh, at least there's other cool fights that are going to happen on that tourney. On that card, on that event. You know what's fucked up? Is that I'm still gonna tune in and watch this shit. Anyway. I guess what I'm trying to say is... We owe it to these people... To minimize all possible risks... While still letting them compete... To the best of their ability. And that involves... Actually, strictly monitoring and controlling what sort of officials the fight organizations hire. We should put the pressure on fight organizations to, to, to create some kind of like positive change, you know. And I know there's like half a dozen, like already I can, I can picture half a dozen uh, fight fans scoffing, going like, eh, nothing's gonna change. <laughs> it's been this way for ages. Nothing's gonna change. And people say the same shit whenever you point out, oh, there's inequality in the world. Or oh, there's still people with no running water in some parts of the world. And everyone's like, yeah, that's, that's been this way for ages. You're not gonna change anything by whining about it. So why even talk about it at all? I mean, that's precisely why it never fucking changes. No one fucking talks about it. Jesus Christ. How hard is it to wrap your brain around it? Uh, uh, wrap your brain around this simple fact. I would know if I can live in one of those third world countries. 
Oh, third world is harsh. I don't think second world actually makes sense because it was kind of like it's it's a term that was created during the Cold War, because uh, like there was like the first world, there was the Soviet bloc, and then the, there was everyone else, the little people who got wrapped up in all the political machinations and uh, proxy wars and all that kind of shit. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I'm sure someone will correct me. Someone will pop up and like fact-check every single statement that I've just made. Mm -hmm. And DC was like, if Dana was here, the commentary, I think Paul Felder, as much as good as as good as he was during that night, uh, the the commentary booth like collectively going, if Dana, if only Dana was here. Uh, like, Dana is not the, uh, caring father that everyone thinks he is. It's because of Dana this type of shit happens. It's because of people like Dana this type of shit continues to happen. And continues to never change. Anyway, I shouldn't say things like, I live in a third world country, there's people who have it way worse than me. And you always have to have this type of perspective in your mind, unless you turn into one of those check marks who can complain about moving somewhere where Amazon Prime takes more than four hours to make their delivery. <sighs> when I finished watching that, uh, whatever that was, the, the fucking I, I struggled to call it a fight. Uh, I was very tempted to turn the whole thing off, and uh, what was also especially embarrassing is that I was watching the, the event with my girlfriend, who I was so far enjoying what was happening, and I was, like, a thought struck me, it's, uh, I think I expressed it earlier, I, I don't remember, I kind of, bl bl I sort of blacked out <laughs> when I was speaking, uh, like, what would a normal person think? about this whole thing, uh, about, uh, about combat sports, about MMA. I would like to end this recap here, because honestly my mood was ruined, much as it was uh, ruined when uh, I was watching the thing. Anyway, I guess uh, the takeaway is that other sports have already dealt with deaths. Do we really need to see one in MMA to realize that it can be avoided? There have already been deaths in MMA, I must say. It just, it just happened in uh, smaller organizations with far greater reach than the UFC. And what's, um, what especially pisses me off is that do we really, I have to restate, do we really need to stretch, do we really need to push our luck this far to take any kind of action? Does this fan base care so little? Does it truly care so little about what happens to the people that go in there and sacrifice their health and the possibility for a long and health, healthy and happy life for their entertainment. 
Huh? Fucking hell. Uh, yeah, I, I would like to wrap this up, but... Uh, there's still some fights to go through. And it would be uh, uh, kind of like... I would make a disservice to the guys that actually showed up and sacrificed some of their brain cells. Uh, just, just like... Would be it would be hypocritical of me to kind of like let them go unmentioned to make my moralistic point or whatever and to to, to like create this dramatic podcast the the, the, the dramatic ending where I, I yell at the audience for being dickheads while still being a dickhead and watching a dickhead sport for dickheads without actually covering the rest of the car fuck it moving on Mikhail Alexeychuk versus Shamil Gamzatov. Uh, Mikhail Alexeychuk, I guess uh, you could call this a triumphant return to form. Uh, cardio bullied the shit out of Gamzatov. Uh, came out like a house on fire, and uh, th- th- this is this is um, <laughs> one of those funny outsider things. Uh, like my girlfriend noticed that uh, Gamzatov was way way more muscular than uh, Alexeychuk, and I was like, oh no. How could they, like, how could they matchmake like this? How could they pit this sort of, like, normal-looking dude against a beast like Gamzatov? You just watch. <laughs> and Alexeychik did not disappoint. Absolutely melted Gamzatov. Pressed him up against the cage right away from the opening seconds and never let up. Kept on punching and punching and punching. And then downed Gamzatov with a hellacious uppercut which connected on the eye, which is one of the one of the more gruesome things I've seen in the last several months. Uh, I'm sincerely hoping Gamzatov didn't receive any kind of lasting damage, or like permanent damage. Uh, hoping it's just an eyelid cut, or maybe like a, a, like a, a, at worst a scratched cornea, because that, that thing you can recover from, and while still retaining uh, the vast majority of your ability to see. If not, then... Ugh. Uh, uh, just uh, uh, a point in, uh, in the... This is not a sport. Uh, I don't know. What, what, what I'm trying to say here? I guess this is another, like, strike against the sport of MMA, if that happens. Anyway... Uh, Lerone Murphy versus uh, Makwana Mirhani. I like Lerone. I really do. I really thoroughly enjoy him. I thoroughly enjoyed his uh, effort against uh, Zubairat Hugov. And I personally think that um, he was... Uh, personally think he was robbed. It was a draw, but I think he won that fairly cleanly. It's just that uh, Hugov was doing lots of top control. And uh, I guess he won... Uh, on based on that criteria that shouldn't matter because damage is what uh, the primary scoring criteria. Anyway, Makwana Mirkani, I don't know, man. I don't know. Makwana is kind of is uh, pretty late in, in, uh, into his career. Uh, making adjustments to his style may just about ruin him as a fighter. Um, but. No, he wouldn't be able to hang in, in there with the elites with that kind of style. He pushes a pace that he cannot maintain. 
and uh, his positional control is not that great. He's uh, an enthusiastic grappler more than he is uh, uh, a good top control player. That's how I would put it. And uh, he was even he got he got lucky here because Leron Murphy is not exactly a good grappler either. Uh, Liron did a good job of focusing on fighting the hands. However, he focused on fighting the hands so much that he forgot about everything else. And uh, there was one really stupid moment where McMahon fucked up and ended up with uh, Liron on top of him. And he was lucky that Liron did not have the grappling instincts to make, to assume a correct top control position. He sort of sat on him like on a bench with his ass. And so McMahon was able to reverse the position from there. But still, exhausted himself grappling. After the first round, he already looked like he was about to... Uh, uh, he was already breathing hard and looking like not great. And then in the second round, Lerone made the adjustment. Uh, they fainted. Uh, the very telegraphed and uh, bad, frankly quite bad shot from Makwana Merhani and kneed him in the face and knocked him dead. And uh, this is one thing about those... Uh, Pressure grapplers that kind of too anxious on the feet. Uh, they shoot too eagerly and from too far out. And uh, this is what happened to Macron. Good for Lerone. Some encouraging things in there. Some uh, not so encouraging things in grappling. But I think he could be a solid top 15 type of um, uh, action guy. The like Someone like Sadiq Yusuf. I would uh, rather enjoy seeing him again. And then Andrei Petrovsky versus uh, Andrei Petrovsky versus uh, Hu Yaozong. That was disgusting. That was the sloppiest fucking fight I've ever seen. It was dog shit. I'm sorry, but it was. Petrovsky was, uh, I guess. Uh, for as young as he is and as uh, as early into his career as he is, it's uh, kind of like fine to look uh, unsure of yourself. And, and uh, they're both very, very early in, into their careers. But uh, the thing is, Hu Yaozong is 3-3. And Andrei Petrovsky is, uh, was 6-1 and one coming into this fight. Uh, oh, no. Hu Yaozong was 3-2 uh, coming into this fight. So, you know, not very experienced and not... Uh, seemingly not very good either. Petrovsky, one of the slowest wrestlers I've ever seen, I have to say. I guess uh, he burned his arms out trying to go for that uh, guillotine. And from for other chokes. And so he couldn't throw strikes with any degree of urgency and uh, quickness. Still horrendous. Slowest, most winding overhands I've ever seen, and Hu Yaozong was still getting pieced up by them. Hu Yaozong, meanwhile, man, that UFC Performance Institute in China, not very good. He was constantly sliding around, gliding around uh, that cage. It's kind of like his entire style was kind of like unpleasant to watch. It was like someone trying to imitate. Like it, it, he looked like a three-year-old trying to imitate uh, what he saw in, in like an action film, and the action film itself wasn't that wasn't that great either. Uh, he would constantly cross his feet, 
whenever he moved forward, he would move his rear foot first and then follow up with the uh, lead foot, like the opposite of what you actually should do to maintain your stance. And then he exhausted himself and uh, just got choked out. I suppose it's I suppose it's very funny from an entertainment perspective, kind of like a silly fight. Fine to have one way down there in the prelims. But man, these guys are just not talented. I'm sorry. And last one, Tagiro Lanbekov versus Salan Nascimento. I think I personally think that Alan Nascimento won that one, won that fight off his back. That decision was incorrect. Um, lots of fun scrambles. Uh, Nascimento was doing a really great job of attacking submissions, especially really great job of sw using the Kimura to sweep, interestingly enough. Uh, nice theme we got going here. Lots of Kimura sweeps, uh, lots of uh, armbar attacks, uh, a fun uh, like uh, a leg scramble uh, there was a fun leg scramble sequence Ben I think uh, will do a much better job of explaining what happened, I wonder if he'll write a breakdown of that fight I sincerely hope he does but yeah, and the Samantha was landing elbows from bottom attacking submissions while Tagiro Landbekov was mostly like hanging out there in top control and this is the problem this is one of those problems about scoring fights like that Judges look for who is on top more than they look for who is actually creating, you know, actual offense, effective offense. Regardless, fun fight, really excellent start to the card, kind of set the mood for the rest of the thing. And yeah, um, you know, you know what, thinking about it. There used to be better cards than this. There were better cards than this. I think it's just that we we uh, saw so little of them that our standards have fallen a bit. I wonder if I, in retrospect, I wonder if I should be if I should be giving this card as much credit as I as I am uh, as, as I am giving right now, because I think what mostly made this card enjoyable for me was. Naturally, the inclusion of Piotr Jan versus Coris Andhagen. Uh, I guess the Islam versus Hooker um, finish was uh, fairly dynamic and interesting. Hamza Chimaev finish, interesting. Um, the Seoul double UMMA fight, okay. And Kalev versus Uzdemir, boring, but okay. A bit on the boring sides, however. Tokugov versus Hamush, very entertaining. Durayev versus Kapilov, um, entertaining. Zaleski vs. Sentini could have been entertaining if not for that cunt. Fucking dog cunt Kiselev. Alexeychuk Gamzatov. Very entertaining. Murphy Amerkani. You know what? Nah, still. Nah. Still a good card. Aside from all the caveats that I've included prior to this. Already fallen back into my uh, MMA brain, MMA fan brain, where I'm ignoring all the shit that happened behind the scenes. I mean, th that's the thing about combat sports. You can't really, uh, can't really 
enjoy all this without comp- uh, compartmentalizing all this stuff that goes behind the scenes. Otherwise, you'll go insane. I think... Yeah, I mean, most sports are kind of like... Most sports are like sick management games for uh, immensely wealthy people. I think uh, Sunshine Sparkle 69 said that. One of our subscribers that I was talking about. The the guy who suddenly became way into ball sports. American ball sports to boot. Very embarrassing. But yeah, he kind of hit the nail on the head. Uh, uh, I mean, everything that we enjoy in this world comes with the caveat that your enjoyment comes at the price of someone somewhere out there in the world enduring some sort of suffering. It's kind of inevitable. There's no way to ethically consume anything in this world, really. It's just that uh, when you, whenever you consume combat sports, you kind of agree to be Agree to, uh, to I guess, sacrifice some of your moral scruples in the first place. It's already a morally ambiguous thing to be enjoying. I don't know. I don't know. I guess I still subscribe to the idea that fighting is still in our blood as a race. You know, the human race. Not the, you know... uh, I mean, if I were to be some kind of weirdo nationalist, I guess I could be running around spewing that the Mongols are a warrior race. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not gonna do that. That's that's cringe. It's just very cringy. We already got enough of uh, enough of uh, those types of people running around, both in Buretia and in Mongolia. Uh... I'm rambling already. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I guess uh, I guess that's that. I've managed to cover everything that I wanted to cover. You know, the idea that there's no way to ethically consume anything and that you should just kind of like sit, sit back, it's kinda, it doesn't sit well with me. Yes, there's no good way to consume anything ethically. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be outspoken about it. That doesn't mean you should, uh, like, um, demand positive change. You know, doesn't mean you should should just sit down and kind of like give up on everything. And I see that a lot. I see that a lot with people who care who ostensibly care a lot about the issues that they talk about. And they're like, oh, I'm so burned out from uh, the, like hearing the news about uh, wars and hearing the news about like ethnic cleansing and genocides. Oh, it's, so, it's all so tiring. Nothing will ever change. The elites control the world. Well, boo-hoo. <laughs> that's the world we live in. Uh, that's the world we live in. Fucking English wow, fucking English vowels, man. Such such an annoying fucking language. I, I can't get. I seem to get the hang of the pronunciations. Uh, and then immediately I make some kind of like weird mistake that annoys me to no end. That's another one of those things. Like fucking colonizers. I have to live in a world where 
Everything is in English. Fuckers. I mean, basically, I think what I'm trying to say is that, is that I think if you're... Uh, I'm talking about a very specific type of person, uh, like uh, a very active, avid poster on social media. It's not one singular person. I'm talking about a specific group of people who are very prominent on social media and like uh, like pundit, uh, in, in spheres of punditry and all that kind of stuff. Uh, people who always complain about the world and always like cry about the injustices and then when, when push comes to shove to like uh, create some kind of actionable change they sit sit back and do nothing because it's not ideologically pure or whatever like uh, oh it's uh, it's going to be co-opted by corporate conglomerates anyway because it's a political in initiative there's no way to change anything the system is rigged <laughs> Uh, well, these people are wankers. That's what I think. Uh, the thing about the world, you have to accept it as it is. Whining about it will change nothing. Pointing out the problems is the first step. But then, you have to actually do something about it. I can't really do anything about uh, my language dying in my region, I guess my dialect of uh, Mongolian dying in my region and my culture being suppressed by the Russians in Buretia and like everything like dying out, everyone assimilating. But I guess the least I can do is to relearn all that kind of stuff and kind of learn my history and make sure I pass it on and make sure I educate my nearest, closest circle of friends and all that stuff. It's, it's, some, it's, it's small... Very likely will not change anything. But, you know, at least... Uh, I guess it's my way of uh, uh, making sure I can sleep at night. I guess what basically what I'm saying is the least you can do is not be a whiny fucking cunt. Get angry, for fuck's sake. Don't be all like, eh, I can't sports it's so bad, and eh, I can't bring myself to watch it. Eh, fucking don't watch it then, okay. Don't... don't Go around, like uh, pissing your pants about it, in my in, in, in like uh, in, in comments to my posts and uh, that kind of shit. Uh, I'm not even supporting the UFC financially because I, I pirate everything. <laughs> Fuck giving them my money. <laughs> Suck my dick. <laughs> Come on. I think it's perfectly fine to live your life. Uh, try to eke out a living in this unjust world. It's, uh, it's I mean, because 1% of the populace, of the human populace, like, holds 99% of all resources and wealth. So the least we can do is just kind of consolidate the con conditions to ensure that our lives don't suck complete dick. The game is rigged, people. Gonna have to... Tough it out. And if enough generations of us tough it out before the planet dies, of course, then maybe something can be done. I may live in a totalitarian hellhole, but look at me. I've found ways to express myself still. I mean, at some point, I guess, the FSB is going to enact, like, the, uh, the central, like, the... the, the uh, the state Duma is going to enact some kind of law that prohibits people from uh, interacting with the 
rest of the world's internet because they're definitely working on that kind of stuff. They're working on the Great Russian Firewall. So I may be uh, silenced through that uh, for, for, by being, sort of, uh, being cut off from the rest of the world. But I mean, uh, for now, uh, I can do that and I'm going to enjoy it. And someone may review all the stuff that I've said here and they're going to gulag me. And the plan is to not be here when that happens. <laughs> and one way to do that is to, is to support the fight site on Patreon. <laughs> now that's what I call a segue. Smooth. Smooth transition. Like smooth little babies. To quote Benny from... Fallout New Vegas. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, supporting the fight site on Patreon actually like directly affects my income because this is my uh, like uh, my full time job now. Well, I guess my second full time job. Anyway, uh, support the fight site. Subscribe to our Patreon to listen to the alternate commentaries. Stay tuned for the alternate commentaries that we're gonna release uh, uh, after UFC two sixty eight. We're going to release a full preview of UFC 268. Fenyo and Dan have already recorded a complete preview. They've studied the footage. They've studied every fighter on the card. Every fight, every single bout. It's crazy. They're insane. Also very unethical because they had to watch lots of tape from the UFC. <laughs> anyway, look forward to that. It uh, look, looks to be a pretty decent card as well. Uh, my boy Gagey. My boy. The violence idiot, Justin Gagey, is returning. Couldn't be happier. Finally, after a year. Uh, after like, It's very weird how they marinated him. It's like, he, he lost to the greatest lightweight who ever lived. And went like, you're shit now, sit down. And like, like Hunter Campbell morphed into Laura Palmer from uh, Twin Peaks. And like, I see you and 25 years. And that, here he and finally here he is, Justin. He's back. And what else? What else? Uh, what, what did you do? Oh, we also released an instructional. I'm reminding you, we released a BJJ instructional that explains how you can finish guillotines from from uh, top mount and other positions. Many people will benefit from this. Novices, you will benefit from this. You will tap every white belt with it. Every fellow white belt with it. Uh, Advanced students, if you ever felt like there's something, something little, there's little tiny little detail missing from your uh, choke submission game, uh, there you have it. Uh, you can purchase it. You can make a one-off purchase for sixty bucks, or you can subscribe to our Patreon at the fifty-dollar tier, which also gives you the access to all the stuff that we've released, obviously, in the Discord, all that kind of stuff, where you can, where you can converse with uh, staff members, with me and uh, other like-minded fans. It's a pretty active community. Small, but cozy. And uh, fairly active. Um, also very supportive. Uh, everyone gives training tips. Everyone explains stuff. Everyone like shares analysis. That kind of, sh that, that kind of shit. That kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, also, uh, if you, put, if you get, gain access to the, uh, to the instructional and download it and then... After you feel like you've got everything that you wanted, then you, I guess you can lower your tier simply to a more manageable sum of money. Uh, I would much prefer if you stayed at the $50 tier, of course. 
<laughs> Obviously. Um, what else? Hmm. Did I forget to plug anything? No, I think that's that's that. There's gonna be the uh, an MMA podcast, obviously, about all the fights that happen. So stay tuned for the input of um, at Gallo and Thrym, and I think we'll have uh, a lots of, lots of interesting things to say about the wrestling exchanges. He knows substantially more than I do about wrestling. I know some stuff in an MMA context, but not as much as Ed, because he actually watches wrestling and actually wrestled and trains wrestling, so stay tuned for that. And, uh, yeah, hope I didn't bring uh, anyone's spirits down too much. Uh, That's why, you know, uh, I mean, I am tough, but I am fair. I want everyone to have a fighting chance in this world, because everyone deserves one. And these things need to be pointed out. Uh, you cannot be... Uh, the, it, like, constantly being positive doesn't mean you're enacting some kind of positive change or you're uh, making sure that things are going to work for the better or, like, making uh, uh, changing someone's outlook for the, for the positive. You're just covering up uh, all the nasty bits. Uh, you can, it's like... It's like, instead of fixing a hole in the wall, you're, like, covering it with, uh, with like a sheet of paper and and you write and you write there's no hole on the sheet of paper you know very tortured analogy but you get what I mean some things need to be said some things need to be said more than once and some things need to be restated to make sure you don't forget that this was as much for my benefit as it was for yours I guess that is if you enjoyed it can't polish up a turd. That's all it is. That's all there is to it. Anyway, uh, I guess that's enough of that. Should wrap this one up. Shouldn't overstay my welcome. You know that in Russian households, whenever a guest overstays their welcome, it's a very old concept, I don't think it's practiced now, but it used to be that uh, if a guest overstayed their welcome, uh, Russians would pour their guest uh, like... Whenever they poured their guest a, uh, a mug of tea, they would fill it to the brim with tea, like a shit ton of it. Uh, basically, like saying, like, come on, come on, finish it up, fuck off, <laughs> fuck off already. Like, there's, do, like, see this cup? There's too much tea. There's too much of you now in this room, in my house. Now go away, wanker. So, on that note, I'm fucking off. See you later. Cheers. I am tough, but I am fair. And I think what's fair, uh, what would be fair is that Kiselov needs to be shot. Also, the corner of Saint-Denis uh, should be locked up with ZDS in there for five minutes. What? That's what I think. Also, Dana is a fat, bald cunt. <laughs>